Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into another episode of the Money Insights Podcast, the alternative wealth building podcast for high income earners. My name's Christian Allen. I'm here with my co-host who we all know lovingly as Rodney the Pods Brisky. Rod, what is up? Hey, hey, I am doing great. I love this time of year, by the way. I thought you were going to say you love the topic. Oh, I, I mean, I'm. <laughs> I, I was going to get there too, but. <laughs> but okay, fall... we're going we're gonna to leave people hanging for a second on the topic because it's a it's a little bit of a doozy. Uh, yeah. Actually, I say that, and anyone that's listening is probably already knows they the topic, it, but. Yeah. Um, Okay, before we get into it, really quick, the next live webinar we're going to be doing October 12th, 11 a.m., Mountain Time, From Owner to Investor, How to Plan, Prepare, and Profit. I love it. Man, that's a good title. I like it. I'm excited to do that one, Rod. So that's you and me, right? Yep. Okay, awesome. Uh, Today's podcast episode is inspired by an article that I read. And it's actually inspired just by a title that I saw that was titled, What If You Die? Uh And I thought, what if I die? Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, because of the industry that we're in, like I kind of thought of that, I think of that relatively frequently, Mm -hmm. but not just for myself, but for other people. So today's topic, Rod, is what if you die physically, but what does it mean financially? Okay. Okay. So let's be really clear. We're not going to get into... Uh, the health side of this. We're going to okay. stay in our own lane. We're going to stay in the money and business lane. And we're going to talk about what happens if you, and you know what I'm thinking about as I'm saying this, Rod, it's, it's not really a, what if you die? It's yeah, when was, you die. <laughs> that's what I thought. It, You're like, what if I do? That would I be I think wild. it's fun to have the if in there. It feels a little better, right? A little bit. You're like, gosh, what if I do? Die? I probably never will, but what if I do? <laughs> it's a possibility. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, today we're going to talk about what if you die what happens financially and really what are the things you need to be thinking about from a financial perspective if something were to happen to you like let's say prematurely right yeah let's say we're not talking and really as i'm saying that it really doesn't doesn't matter when you die we're going to talk about the things to be thinking about to Mm -hmm. prepare and be ready for when that time comes whether it comes at an unexpected early situation or whether it comes when we're you know 98 years old or if you're listening to buck's podcast his new one and now you're going to be 128 yeah but- you know, i was i read a funny article the other day how japan has now been given the guinness world record for the most people above 100 who are still working Still working? I thought yes. you were going to say most people just above a hundred. Yes, you're saying... actually, they get both. So they get both. Okay, but then okay. it was making that does make sense of the still, people who are still working. I didn't yeah. know there were any people over a hundred that oh, are still working. Yeah, and it gave an example of a pharmacist who comes. Is there like and is... is there like seven of them, or is it like many? A lot. Surprising. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Surprising. Well, props to Japan, Rod. Did I tell you? I probably told you this. My my bonus daughter Addie has an obsession with japan oh and everything japan especially yeah 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 um which reminds me i need to uh i need to connect you to you can you can talk to her a little bit about japanese culture okay so today rod what if you die let's get into it here's the thing this is one of those topics that people don't like to talk about Mm -hmm. and i'm not i'm no different i hate talking about death i don't like thinking about it um i want to live as long and healthy and happy as of a life as possible I think most people feel that way yeah. and yep. yet and yet we all kind of know that we actually should be at least planning preparing thinking about it right yeah so today we're going to do that um but again we're going to focus on the financial aspects of it and some of it like you can kind of spin this to a more positive direction when you're thinking of it in terms of how to produce generational wealth yeah right so, like, it's interesting in the financial space, we oftentimes are thinking about what happens if we die, but we usually are talking about it in terms of creating this wealth for the next generation mm-hmm. and less about, like, you know, the morbid part of it. Yeah. So today we're going to uh, kind of roll with that same idea. Okay. Sweet. 
Um, I do think the topic's really important, Rod, because there's a lot of issues that people don't typically think about that need to be considered uh, so that you leave your family in the family, the people you care about, charities, whatever it is, leave them in the best situation possible. Um, so for that reason, we're going to hit on it. Okay, Rod, we're going to start by talking about some of the estate planning basics, okay? So why don't you kick us off and talk a little bit about what are the things we ought to be thinking about from an estate planning perspective? Yeah. So the most basic level is a will. And a will is basically just a document that says who receives my stuff when I die. Right. Yep. And, and you can even, you can write that thing out on a hand piece of paper if you want. It's totally valid. Yep. Um, I wouldn't encourage that, but you could do it. Yep. Will is very simple. What was interesting to me is we're going to talk about trusts next, but even when you do a trust, you still have a will mm -hmm. that's just kind of like held inside of the trust. So that part of that or that terminology as it relates to who gets your stuff, who gets whatever, when you pass, that is, that's your will. So now what happens is if you have a will, but you don't have a trust is that the court has to get involved in order to pass all of the assets over to your heirs. So mm. in other words, I mean, there are some things like if it's your baseball card collection or whatever, I don't know, unless someone you don't think like that's going through really probate? feels strongly about that, then that, it, you know, you just hand it off. But if it's like a bank account or something, it's in your name, it has to be changed into someone else's name. Well, that can't happen unless there's a court order alongside the will to make that happen. Right. So what so, you're saying is that's important. Yeah. And that by itself is reason enough to go get a trust because yeah. the number one, you have to have a, a, a judge who says, yeah, I, I agree. This will is, is legitimate and everything gets passed. And then they ask for, or, is anyone who wants to challenge this will? And so obviously if someone does and that delays the process, et cetera. So depending on the state you live in, it could be six, nine, 12 months from the time the person passes until the assets actually get, change you know change hands which could create a lot of problems right um the the one that comes to mind is just, just liquidity like if there's a maybe a business that still needs to be run or there's real estate that still needs to be handled and some of those liquid assets are tied up and you can't get to them until the judge says so then you could run into some real problems even just bills that need to be paid right, right? like it could be yep. anything so yep. Okay, so what you're saying, though, is by making sure that you create the combination or have the combination of wills, your will and trust in place to kind of define those things, mm -hmm. then we can pretty easily avoid it. Yeah, because what the trust does is it it's a legal entity that basically kind of mechanically makes those things happen. And it doesn't have to be a judge that comes in and, and creates the, the court order to to for these things to change hand the trust gives those instructions acts on behalf of the deceased person to allow them to change the, the bank account or the, the real estate or whatever so that the ownership can be changed okay so we have revocable trusts we have irrevocable trusts what's the difference and why would either of them be useful sure so revocable trust is going to be something where I'm I'm the one who's creating the trust. It's it's my assets. I'm passing them on to my kids or my cha a charity or whatever. Um, but I want to keep the control. I want to be able to directly make whatever changes I want inside of the trust. I want to be able to revoke it. That's kind of where the word comes from. Get rid of it completely or not. And that's that's all in my hands. I'm I'm setting up the trust or in other words, what they call the grantor or settler. Uh, that's the one who's setting up the trust. And I'm also the trustee who carries out all of the directions inside of the trust, at least until I pass. Okay. That's a revocable. Okay. If it's irrevocable, then if I'm the one setting it up, I'm the grantor. I'm putting assets inside of that trust. But what I'm doing is I'm moving those assets out of my estate. They're now exist inside of the trust. I still have say in terms of who gets to be the trustee and things like that, but I can't make changes to the trust, um, to kind of the, the terms of the trust unilaterally, 
like I could if on the revocable side. So again, I, I can still call a lot of the shots, but I'm, I'm not directly doing those things. There has to be a, an arm's length uh, between the, the, the transactions. So if I'm buying or selling real estate and if, sorry, if the trust is buying or selling real estate or anything, anything it's doing, I'm not enacting that. I have to have a trustee that actually does those things. Okay. Okay. So really simply revocable trust and irrevocable trust basically is deterrent. The, the factor is who has control. Mm -hmm. Where's the control at? Right? Yeah. So then you might say, well, why would I give up control? And the answer is, like I mentioned, you're moving it outside of your estate. So for estate tax purposes, estate planning purposes, those assets are no longer inside of your estate. They're not subject to the estate tax exemption and all those, all those kind of things uh, because it's not even a part of my estate anymore. That's the reason why someone would choose to do that. Yep. Okay. So put simply, let's say that I have a $50 million estate and um, I'm, you know, dealing with estate tax issues. I want to pass money on, pass maybe assets on. I could move that completely out of my estate. And obviously by doing that, it avoids um, having to deal with that massive estate tax, which is a big, yeah. which is, you know, a big thing. Okay. Um, Rod, why is it important to have a power of attorney when we're talking about estate planning? Yeah, because um, not only after we've passed, but even while we're still living, if there are reasons why we can't make decisions, either because of an accident or, you know, dementia or some of these things that just your capacity to to think and make decisions is is not there you want to have people who can make those decisions on your behalf okay okay so the three basics inside of your estate planning inside of inside of your estate plan should be your will trust and power of attorney at least those yep. kind of core three things right yep. and you know depending on your situation the extent of it the sophistication all those things there might be a lot of stuff going on but that's kind of like the core, if that's not in place, really, from my perspective, even if you're young, healthy, and it just doesn't matter mm -hmm. um, early in life, especially if you're someone that's a high income earner making money, there's reason to go out and at least take care of kind of that basic estate planning. Yeah. And a big piece on that too, again, this, this is not necessarily on the financial side, but it's what, what happens to our kids if Jody and I both go that was also a big part of the trust and what, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. So a lot of these things that we talk about are intertwined. We're going to talk a little bit about family dynamics as we mm -hmm. get into this conversation. Um, but to your point, Rod, they all kind of flow in and out of each other, right? <laughs> if yep. that makes any sense. Like yep. a big part of this, it's almost like the things that we're going to be talking about from here on out are all part of um, a quality estate plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, Rod, we're going to talk about, here's here's the things we're going to hit on. We're going to hit on life insurance for just a minute. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we're going to talk about life insurance and why it's why it's valuable, useful for, especially for high income, high net worth people. We're going to talk about wealth transfer, talk about business succession. If you're a business owner, what that looks like, we're going to hit on the tax implications and we're going to talk about what it looks like to involve family. Um, and then finally, we'll hit on healthcare directives briefly. Okay, that's our that's kind of the rest of our show, Rod. Let's jump into life insurance. This is your favorite topic. Yeah. So we talk Rod, about it a lot. I want to talk about life insurance, but I don't want to talk about it in terms of like, hey, how does the investment optimizer strategy work, or how does sure. capital? We're not going to talk about it in those form in that form. We're really going to talk about it inside of the context of kind of the core basic estate planning the what if you die right now yeah. here's the nice thing those strategies that we use can 100 percent um be multi-purposed to do both the investing both the income mm -hmm. production and create the death benefit that i need so yeah. like that's happening but again for these purposes we're going to focus on that need for life insurance as a death benefit um and inside of kind of that broad-based estate plan. So why don't you yeah. kick us off and just kind of hit on the basics of life insurance as a part of that? Sure. Yeah. So the first piece to hit on is uh, we have term insurance versus permanent insurance and term 
Give us a 30, 30 to 40 minute rundown of the term versus perm. Okay. Would you, Rod? Yeah, that sounds good. How about I turn it 30, 40 seconds? Okay, 30, 40 seconds. Good idea. Uh, everybody so, knows what term and permanent insurance is. Yeah. So, yeah, we probably don't need to get into it. Yeah, you're either picking the time frame and it's 10, 20, 30 years and then it's going to go away or it lasts the rest of your life no matter how long you live. Okay, right. but Rod, why would I, why would I, why are either of them important? Why is term important? Why would I buy term insurance? I'm probably never going to die when that, it's never going to pay out anyway. That is probably true. You think that, and the insurance company thinks that, so that's why the the premiums are so small. So that's why it's... Okay, that's fair. But can I just tell you, my dad was 49, and yeah. he uh, his term insurance 100% paid out. So yeah. very often, it's not about the type of life insurance. It's about having the insurance that takes care of your family. Um, and that's why, you know, like, when we get... when we have chances to talk to people about life insurance and specifically, you know, most of our conversations are around how to enhance investing and they're mm -hmm. around more, you know, sophisticated financial planning strategies. Mm -hmm. But Rod, I like to think that we're also paying attention to like the actual need for life insurance that yeah. might exist. Right. Okay. And so many cases we'll have people uh, we've had, we had Buck talk about this on his show that, that you guys were, you and Brennan were on just this past week talking about like the massive amount of convertible term that he has. And, and we see a lot of that. So yeah. anyway, it's kind of a little bit of a rant here, but my, my point is just to suggest it doesn't matter what type of insurance when you die, nobody mm -hmm. cares, right? They just care that they have the death benefit and it's tax free and, and creates the liquidity and what, you know, covers the things that they need. Yeah. And what's interesting about what we do is people will often assume that we are anti-term because we like permanent uh, insurance. Is, can I just tell you the whole idea behind term versus perm is really a jackassery <laughs> conversation. Uh -huh. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense, but that's how I feel about it, Rod. Uh, it really doesn't make sense because both have their place. Like mm -hmm. most, I say this about most, most financial products have a valid place. Not all of them. There are yeah. a few that you're like, whoa, what happened on that one? Mm -hmm. But most of the time it gets created because someone or, or the government or some entity sees a need, something yeah. that needs to be provided for. Well, it's really easy to see if you're like not completely pig headed, like it's really easy to see the value of both types of insurance. If I'm 72 and still need insurance, well, my term insurance probably isn't going to be there. It's probably not going to be affordable. Mm -hmm. So like, like that's probably not a good solution there. Right. right? Anyway, sorry for the, you know. Yeah. But I that. think that hit really hits on the point, And that is you, you pick the type of insurance, whether it's the term or the perm, based on what you're trying to accomplish. And if it is a short term need because of a loan or because of, you know, during my, high working years, I, I want a little more income replacement than, than what my other permanent insurance may provide. Then term insurance is absolutely good. And, and you and I both have term, et cetera. Um, but then with permanent insurance, if, if you want it to be more longer term, longer than 10 years, 20 years, mm -hmm. whatever you want it to be, you want to have some death benefit that pays out when you die, permanent insurance, that's, that's what you have to go with. So and if you want to enhance your investing and if you want to use premium finance and use it yeah. for the more sophisticated strategies, if you want it, it to play a prominent role in your wealth transfer, all those reasons are good reasons to use permanent life insurance. And uh, it's also still important to design those the right way. I should always yeah. say that. Yeah. Um, okay. So life insurance has an important role in estate planning in the sense that it's probably the most effective um asset to pass on from generation to generation, right? Like yeah. even re like real estate's amazing. I get this, I can get the step up in basis when I put it, but it's not suddenly liquid. Yeah. Right. So I still have this great asset, but what's, what's kind of unique and incredible about life insurance is that it's suddenly a liquid asset that can be used to do anything I need to. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of like a Swiss army knife from a wealth transfer perspective. And we could get into dozens of like sophisticated and specific strategies that are used inside the life insurance space to for wealth transfer. But today we're just going to leave it at life insurance as a valuable piece of estate planning. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay, Rod, jump into the wealth transfer section of our conversation. Yeah, this uh, this is 
well, hopefully it's happening um, in the most efficient way possible, right? So wealth transfer just means you're you're transferring money from your generation to the next generation or to charities or you know somewhere that's not you. And so a lot of that can happen while you're living. So that's, that's what we're going to focus on here primarily. Um, and that gets into things like gifting. So you hear, you may hear a lot of people who will say, well, well, I'm, uh, I have a, a strategy in place where I transfer or I, I have some sort of gift set up where, where 10,000 a year or 20,000 a year goes to my kids and uh, in, in various forms. And that can happen even while they're minors, they can't go directly to them. You have to get these, uh, custodial accounts to allow you to do that. But, but it can happen. Even if you have minors, you can start doing that as, as soon as you feel like you're ready. And if you're under that annual gift uh, exclusion limit, which is about $15,000 per person. So for a couple, a lot of people will do up to 30. And as long as you're under that, then, then you make the transfer. There's no reporting that has to happen to the IRS. You don't have to fill out the, the gift tax form on your on your return um, if you go above that then you have to start doing those things or if you're making transfers into an irrevocable trust or something again it's considered a gift but if it's larger than that number then it starts to go against your lifetime exclusion okay Rod, i don't want to get into like the too much of the nitty-gritty but the lifetime exclusion maybe just hit on what that is and yeah because because a lot of times when we say like okay we're gifting but suddenly people think that oh when i'm gifting i'm paying taxes it's not that it's just that it's being yeah. um, counted against the exclusion that we that we always and automatically get. Good. Yeah. So I mentioned if you're under that 15 or 30 for a couple, then there's nothing that has to happen. No reporting. If you're above that and, and you're filling out that gift uh, form on your, on your return, then what they're doing is counting it against your lifetime exclusion. So what that means is for estate tax purposes, if your estate is above a certain amount when you pass away, then you have to pay estate taxes, right? And so people start thinking, well, what if I just get rid of it before I die? And the IRS is great, but here are the parameters under which you do that. If it's above this gift, this annual gift exclusion, then you have to count it toward the lifetime. And right now it's like 25 million for a couple here in a couple of years, I think the end of 25 is it goes and is cut in half. So it would be basically 12, 13 for a couple or six, seven for a, an individual. So it's, it's changing. The landscape is changing and so, probably will continue to change. Yeah. So, so Rod, if it goes against my uh, exclusion, is that exclusion the same as the $25 million number? The same oh, as the estate tax number? Yes. Yep. So it, when you're thinking about it, um, the two are pretty much like they're they're intertwined in the sense that I have this this. Well, again, I guess it's the exclusion. I don't have to pay estate taxes up to my, you know, twenty five million if we're mm -hmm, a couple. Mm -hmm. Of course, once that happens, so so if I end up gifting more than that, it just will reduce that twenty five million down. So that when I when I die, maybe it's if I if I've gifted if I've used $5 million of my exclusion, that means that I could give 20 million at death. And, you know, basically yep. that's the, that's the math behind yep, it. Yep, exactly. Okay. Okay, Rob. So um, there's a lot of ways that, that people can wealth transfer, right? A lot yeah. of it gets into charitable things, but, yep. but we talk about life insurance. We talk about um, using trust. And by the way, like, can I just say, I was, oh gosh, this was probably 12, 13 years ago. I was kind of getting into, uh, I, I ran across a potential client, prospective client, who had a net worth of around $50 million. I was probably 24, so it was probably 16 years ago. Okay. Um, pretty new in the industry, just kind of, you know, trying to get my feet wet. I didn't know, I knew a little bit, enough to be dangerous, but not enough to feel confident doing something with these people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I brought in a local a planner who had a reputation of being really, really good. And their strategy was, was basically like, like zero tax plan. Or, or, okay. I don't know what the right word is, but basically get them to a level where there's zero estate tax, right? Okay. That's the, that was the goal. Um, and one of the things that, 
that surprised me, like significantly surprised me, was how much can be done through strategy in conjunction with things like gifting and trusts, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Before, like, like it was pretty shocking. They were able to take this $50 million um, estate down by, I, I don't know, it was like $30 million just by doing the right things from a, from a legally standpoint in their trust documents. So yeah. anyway, I, I just say that to suggest that like, oftentimes we put these things off thinking like, Oh, it's going to be a pain or like, mm -hmm. maybe I'm not going to get the result that I want out of it. But, uh, my experience is that there is a huge amount that can be done across the board as it relates to wealth transfer. Okay. So a lot of times we talk about gifting, right? Gifting, yeah. charitable things. Those are the, those are probably the most common, um, but it could really be anything. I mean, real estate's a big one, even, even like educational accounts. Mm -hmm. I, like we have that on our list here, Rod, but that's probably not something we see a lot, especially since we just told people in our last pod to <laughs> avoid 529s. Yeah. Um, but technically speaking, right, you can you can pass 529s, you can pass your IRAs. There's they have they have been making it a little more painful to pass IRAs mm -hmm. recently, mm -hmm. but certainly all of those things are available to you. Okay, what else do you want to talk about as it relates to just being aware of and thinking about what needs to happen from a wealth transfer perspective when you die. I think as it relates to the charitable giving, one thing that is really key is I think a lot of people assume that if I'm, if I'm doing that, I have to give up the asset. Like if I want to get the benefit, I have to give up the asset. And, and I mean, obviously there, there is, that is an element of it, but that's why we often get involved in situations like this, because you want to, you want to be efficient from a tax planning standpoint but you also don't want to disinherit your kids at the same time, right? Right. So you, so you can, can replace the asset. Yep. You can do a lot of that charitable giving and then replace it with life insurance outside of the estate in an irrevocable trust so that the, the kids still get theirs and you're very efficient from a, a, an estate tax standpoint. Another thing that people often wrongly assume, Rod, is that you have to be wealthy in order to even mess with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that um, you really don't, right? Like if you're, if you're making a good income, um, it's probably time to at least start doing the basics of these things. Yeah. Again, like the whole, I think the whole goal for today is to like, oh, it's a little scary, a little morbid, but to think like, okay, what would I need to make sure is in order if mm -hmm. I were to die from a financial yeah. perspective, right? Like, and that, that's really the reason for each of these kind of, pieces that we're talking about is what we're suggesting is if we're you and we are us rod so <laughs> we are us if That's we're true. us this is exactly what we're thinking about <laughs> as we're going into the you know having uh, no one likes to think about death rod nobody right. but we're just gonna we're just gonna persevere we're gonna and be responsible it. we're gonna be responsible to okay so the next section rod is if you have a business we're gonna talk mm -hmm. about business succession planning and many of you talking or many of you here are uh business owners many mm -hmm. of the people that we talk to so this is one of those things that it probably takes an additional layer of planning and execution if you want to get it right and as we've talked about this is oftentimes where people get it wrong and then businesses can't move from generation to generation just simply because it falls apart in that first attempt trying to go even from like parents to children. Right. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, talk, give, give us kind of your thoughts on business succession and some of the specific things we should be thinking about as it relates to business succession. If we die. Yeah. So if you own a business, uh, especially if you have partners in the business and it's not just a concern of whether you pass away, it's a concern of whether any of you pass away. Uh, I was actually talking to a client the other day who was, they were bringing on a new partner. And so he wanted to meet and talk about getting some buy, sell insurance in place. And he said, this is really important because I actually had this happen. He had had a, a partner who passed away and they had, what a lot of people don't know is the buy, sell agreement is usually included in the structure of the, of the formation yeah. of your business, whether it's an LLC or corporation or whatever. Um, there's language, likely language in there that, that says the surviving partners are required to buy out the family of the, the partner who passed. And 
gratefully, he said they had the insurance in place because their business would not have survived. Like they would have mm. had to basically um, cannibalize the company to pay, to buy out the, the partner. And because they had the insurance in place, it, everything was good. Yeah. That's a big, I mean, it's an, it's a huge success story, right? And and I say success. It's a sad story. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously anytime someone dies, but it's, it's nice to hear people doing the right kind of planning so that the family didn't have to suffer and neither yeah. did the the partners, the business and you know, their families. So yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. That's a good, good example. Um, Rod, talk about from a business succession standpoint. Yeah. Uh, this is another one of those <laughs> things that we, we hit on it a couple of weeks ago as well. We did the kind of the, the business succession uh, podcast. A lot of people, they're just trying to make their business survive today, right? Or, or thrive and want to get it to where it's thriving. Uh, and so well, what's going to happen after that isn't necessarily as much on their mind. But I tell them, I'm telling you right now, think about that. What is going to happen to your business, whether it be when you die or when you retire or when you're just ready to sell or, or whatever. It's worth thinking about these things now because it can just become a, a huge mess later on if, if you're not thinking about things early. Yeah, I totally agree. And we've seen it, right? We've seen yeah. like you've seen family issues come into play, right? right? Let's what's really sad is if you have like a family business and there's like let's say it's a successful family business and it's not clear how that family business is going to go to the next generation and you have yeah. you know families fighting and tearing people apart like man that's just yeah. horrible you have one child that's working in the business one or two others who are not working in the business but they're like i should you... get something out of that and the person yep. in it is thinking well i've done all the work like it's just it's just a mess so yeah, for sure um i agree with you rod i it, it but can I just tell you, I do understand for people, especially early in the business, it's really hard to spend much time on this. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing is, is you don't have to spend a lot of time just doing some really basic stuff, right? Like you can knock it out with an attorney in an hour or two and have the kind of core stuff that you need so that um, you're at least protected. And then as you become more successful, you can mold that into a more sophisticated plan. But at least um, at that that early stage, just, just be thinking about it. Keep the end in mind. Yeah, hey, and pace yourself. You can't take all of this on at once. Uh, so, so just start picking them off. Get, get your trust going. Get some life insurance. You know, get some of these things. If you're business owners, start having those conversations. Um, but so you whittle away at it, at it over time, and over the course of you know six months, a year, you can accomplish a lot if you're focused on on doing that. Interesting question for you, Rod. Okay. You've talked to many, many people, many business owners over the years, what percentage of people would you say have currently have a funded buy sell, which just means that, okay, so I I should clarify that question. So you talked about earlier how buy sell agreement often is just built into the articles of incorporation Mm -hmm. in a company. Um, That part of it is pretty hard and fast. We almost always see that. Mm Mm-hmm. What oftentimes isn't the case is that there's an actual there's actually a way to execute that plan with money. So yeah. when I say funded it, I'm just suggesting in addition to the articles of incorporation, they've planned enough so that they can actually do something with it. But but my experience, well, I'm, I want to get yours first. Okay. What percentage, if you were to guess, uh, based on your experience, people actually have done something with that? Somewhere between 10 and 20% would be my Ooh, guess. That's higher than I was expecting. Really? I was yeah. going to say like 5%. Um, it is at the place where every time I hear it, that it's that it's there, it's a surprise. It's like, oh, wow, good job. Like, yeah, you, this is great. You're kind of bucking <laughs> the trend a little bit here. Yeah, it really is. And and so that's, again, that's why we bring it up just because it's so uncommon. It's such a challenge. And and of course, like if you're a business person, like it will derail it. it it can and will derail your business. Yeah. Um, even if you're not the person that suffers, you know, let, let's say it's death or disability, yeah. like it can still derail your business and your career. Okay, yep. Rod, let's let's shift and talk a little bit about everybody's favorite topic, taxes. It's like yeah. our like I talk about, it's like one of our closest companions as high income earners. So we might as well become good friends with it. Um we're gonna talk specifically about the tax implications if you die and maybe i'm just gonna say when you die (laughs) every time i say if i'm like 
pretty sure I'm going to die. <laughs> so how about the There's tax hope. implications when you die, Rod? Okay. Federal estate taxes, state taxes, gift taxes. We got all sorts of income taxes, like yeah. all sorts of taxes, Rod. What are we going to do, do with all these tax implications of dying? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about kind of the high level of, in terms of estate tax exemptions and, and gifting and things like that. Um, and the fact is, is that if you, if you pass away and your estate is anywhere above that exemption. So again, let's just use the 25. If your estate is worth 40, then the first 25 is exempted, but then the other 15. Okay. Whoa, I had an accident, Rod. Uh -oh. Knocked over my water. Sorry. So, but I, I just got that excited when you said that. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is just like spurred something. <laughs> um, but now I've forgotten what it is. So keep going. Okay. So uh, this example, the 40 million, the the remaining 15 that, that is above the exemption, that is a subject to the estate tax, which at a federal level is 40%. Okay. I remember what I was going to say, Rod. Okay. You emphasize this, but I want to re-emphasize this because okay. we're talking about this. You're giving the example of 25 million, but like it's set to dramatically decrease. Right. Right. And when is it? Two years from today? Two years yeah, from now? I think now? it's the end of 25. Yeah. Okay. So, and I don't have the number in front of me. Do you remember what it is? It basically cuts in half. So Cuts in half. Okay. So if I'm, if, and the reason I want to bring this up is because if I'm, me and I am me again. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm thinking with my forty million dollar estate. I'm not thinking. Okay, twenty five million is good. That's mm. not the way I'm thinking about that. I'm probably going to be thinking like, I don't know, maybe five to ten million. Like that, that's probably a more realistic view yeah. of what that could look like. Now, obviously, we don't know. We like you know what's wild, Rod. I have seen the estate tax limit be anywhere between like. 1.2 million per person or maybe it was one five but really low mm -hmm. all the way up to now where it's like 12 12 and a half it's, there it's was one year nuts. there was one year oh, where it was limitless right. limitless that's right <laughs> that was there was the a few lucky a lucky dinner. wealth people yeah that's yeah. right yeah i was thinking who was it that was really wealthy that died that year well, George Steinbrenner was one of them, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, okay, it's been all over the map. But my point, again, is just to emphasize, I, I probably wouldn't be thinking about it as a $25 million number. I'd probably bring that down in my mind. I yeah. do bring that down in my mind and plan as if it's going to be a, a, you know, a more moderate number based sure. on historicals. Okay. Agreed. Okay, so we talk about federal estate taxes. Talk a little bit about what, it, what state taxes look like and why yeah. that's important. Yeah, there are several states out there where, in addition to the the federal tax, it doesn't it doesn't reduce what you pay on the federal. You have to pay extra at the state level, and a lot of the states the the exemption is a lot lower. So you might be at the even at the twenty five or the twelve or whatever the five, and be yep. at one or two in your individual state. So yeah, it is so funky. I. I and I don't keep up on this from a state to state basis unless we're like actually working on a case yeah. and need to need to deal with it. Yeah. But it seems like years ago we were dealing with this and and there was from someone from New Jersey and it was just the state tax, if I remember right, was just ridiculously low. And so now you're like, OK, we're going to plan from an estate perspective, from a tax perspective, and we've got all these these taxes that are happening after this point now yeah. the the overall estate tax the federal estate tax was lower at that time too but like like there's this gap and and it's just it just becomes like a little bit overwhelming right mm -hmm. um but again it's easy to to have advisors who know what they're doing that can really easily put this stuff in the, we don't want to yeah. overcomplicate it right. okay so state taxes are usually somewhere in the like five to 7% range. Is that fair? Yeah, sure. Yep. And then if you're, if you're in like Texas or Florida, man, that's, you're living the good life. No, <laughs> no state. Oh, wait, is that a, oh, they don't have state income taxes. I just was, I was thinking of state taxes for a second and got a little bit discombobulated, Rob, but I don't know on the estate tax. I would say more states do not have them. Than the ones that do. Okay. So if you're if you're lucky and you live in, like you said, New Jersey, I think Maryland does, California, then then you get an extra bonus 
estate tax. I'm a little bit rusty, Rod. It's been a few years since I was meeting with people and I've forgotten my, my, my state law, (laughs) my state tax law, like I ever knew it by state. Okay. um, So those are some tax implications to be thinking about. Obviously when we talk about estate planning, that's like the biggest one, right? Mm -hmm. Most often we're talking about liquidity and making sure our family's okay. But most often we're saying like, what's the liquidity for? Well, it could be to, and most likely is to pay whatever that estate tax bill is. Yep. Yeah. And and before we leave the tax implications, we also have to talk about, because you'll have like income taxes and and other things like that, uh, capital gains taxes. So like we often talk about with real estate, you have this step up in basis that Mm -hmm. when you pass it, you get the step up and which means if I, whatever, paid a hundred thousand for the property and it's now worth a million, I die the basis is no longer a hundred thousand. It's now a million. So if my kids turned around and sold it the next day, there would be no capital gains tax on it. Right. I just inherited some real estate from my grandpa who passed. Oh, he passed. I didn't hear about that. He he was 96 years old. He passed, I guess it's been a couple months and I haven't technically inherited, but it it hasn't gotten it yet. But anyway, it is kind of nice. Can I just tell you to get a step up in basis? Yeah. He's got a bunch of these fourplexes near uh, BYU's campus. Okay. And they've just like killed it over the years. Yeah. So, and anyway, I'm sure a very I'm low excited basis. Excited about that. Before and a very, yes, basis. a very low basis. Like, like probably, okay. So I'm thinking that the fourplexes are probably worth like seven or 800,000 each now. Okay. Um, something like that. They're, they're older, right? Uh, but I think he probably bought them for like, 30 to $40,000 or something uh-huh. like that. Yeah. Like yeah. he held on to his own house rod for uh, something like 70 years. Wow. 70 years. That's he amazing. lived in the same that he, he and my grandma, my grandma lived a long time too. She was 93 or 94. So wow. anyway, Rod, the point was just to say uh, other than that, I love my grandparents um, excited about the whole step up in basis thing. And that can be, uh, a part of tax planning as it relates to not can be, it probably is. Like I always tell people the best asset to move to the next generation is, is life insurance. The next one is probably real estate. Right. Uh, just because of that huge, huge benefit. Okay. Um, taxes, Rod, let's finish off by talking about the touchy feely stuff. Yeah. Okay. This is the stuff that we don't usually get into as much, but that is every bit as important. And we see challenges, problems, uh, but we also see wins too. So talk to us about the importance of involving the family in planning related to not if I die, but when. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Involving the family is, is huge on a bunch of different levels. Like we could, again, we could spend another 30 minutes just on this topic. Uh, but the point is that if the family doesn't know what's going on and then you pass, that's where personally I've seen the most issues come up Oh, I've got it's a all a mystery story. until mom and dad pass. And then all of a sudden the kids are like, okay, what, what's going to happen now? And all, all the surprises come up and, and chaos erupts. Rod, is this a real story that we heard together? Or am I just like, am I telling a story that's like secondhand? You, you'll have to okay, tell me. Let's hear it. Yeah. Hey, so <laughs> I can't remember. This is, it's been a while, but somebody told me, or I heard somebody tell somebody else okay. that, that a story of um, a family who uh, just a couple, they had like six or seven kids, just normal family. Dad passed away and I don't remember the age or anything, but it was like a decade later that they were in the shed of their house in the back. And they found this life insurance policy, like, like, roped up inside of a jar. Oh, wow! and it was, and again, it wasn't huge. I think it was like, $70,000 life insurance policy, but this family was like really struggling. They didn't have the things that they needed. And this is, and again, you know, $70,000 50 years ago is a lot more than it is today. Right. So anyway, and I don't know, I'm trying to remember if that's like a personal story. This is weird that I, it doesn't sound familiar to me, but this is okay. Well, I feel like it had, it was in my beneficial days. So like really early on, but, but again, I don't want to, I don't want to like make any, declarations that are untrue so it could be a second hand story uh but the point here rod is that like can you imagine being a family who could have had things in order but just because they were mm-hmm. totally clueless yeah. about what was there 
like it created a real challenge for them. So mm -hmm. while it's a good story that they found money um, and the insurance company absolutely did um, pay that money out to them, yeah, they still had to struggle for many years in a situation that could have been a lot better for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's so involving the family really important. Absolutely. And again, on a lot of different levels, probably the biggest thing that I hear most often is I don't want my kids to know what we have, have unrealistic expectations or or whatever about what what they should have, you know, right now. And then secondly, I don't want to spoil my kids by leaving a bunch of money to them. So mm. some combination mm -hmm. of those two. Well, while I can respect people who have those those opinions maybe i can give uh, a, a little bit of a different angle to it what if while you're living and while you're figuring these things out and making cool things happen building your wealth you involve the kids you involve the family in doing that so that together you understand what it means to grow wealth what it takes to grow wealth so there's an appreciation there's an understanding so that when you pass you're passing on not just the wealth, not just the dollars that they can go potentially blow, but a culture of whatever your values are as it relates to building the wealth and, and what it takes to do it and what, you, what you're going to do with it. Rod, I want to talk about financial literacy. Yeah. Because... Along with like the communication element inside of a family... Mm -hmm. There is, I think, okay, let's put it this way. Sometimes what you'll see is like, is like, let's just say theoretically, we've got a client that's a, that's a wealth building physician. They really love investing, uh, done really well, but maybe they've got kids that just have very little interest in that type of thing. Maybe, maybe they're researchers and they want to be focused on science, right? Yeah. Like building wealth isn't really part of their milieu even. Yeah. Um, but, but here's the thing that I, that I, I think it can be a problem sometimes is not having like the core financial literacy to be able to deal in that world, even if it's not like your hobby or you're interested, mm -hmm. right? So you don't have to be um, someone that spends a lot of time in the financial markets and world all the time in order to be at least literate. Yeah. And as parents, we can do a lot of it. Like we can help a lot. We can help by making sure at an earlier age, we talk about it's kind of cheesy, but like we can make the, uh, we can start using the cash flow. Dang it. What's it? Cash flow kids. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Cash flow we for kids. Yep. Cash flow kids. And, and anyway, we can start doing these things at an earlier age, start talking about money. Can mm -hmm. I just tell you in my family, that is not how it worked. Mm -hmm. um, it was a little bit more like hush hush. And the reason again was because my dad's dad was that way. And so he was a little bit that way, less than his dad, but I've kind of bucked that trend entirely yeah. and just try to be as open and forthright um, while still like, like one of the things that I think is important, especially if you're a high income earner, you're a wealth builder and you're involving your kids, like, make sure that there's gratitude inside of that, right? Mm -hmm. Like that that's built into the equation, right? So it doesn't have to just be like, Hey, I'm telling you all the money you're getting. It can be like, uh, Hey, how can we work together to use this to do more good in the world? Yeah. And that's kind of the way that that's kind of the way I look at it. Agreed. Okay, Rod. So finally, I want to make sure we don't miss this. Finish this off by talking about the importance of having a healthcare directive. Yeah. We kind of talked about this a little bit with the power of attorney, but essentially, you, you've given someone the ability to make decisions. What the healthcare directive is, is you're giving them instructions on what, what you want to have happen, right? And and there are, there are a lot of different elements of this, like organ donor type of thing. Um, but even while you're like end of life care, do you DNR, want, yeah, yep, do you want those them things. to keep you going or or at a certain level, do you want to just say, hey, pull the plug and, and let me go? Man, Rod, way right. to end on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pull the plug on this one. Should we? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, a healthcare directive. Come. Obviously, healthcare directives are important and really each piece. Of it. Okay. So, um, like you said, a healthcare directive basically just defines, uh, directs what you want to have done at the end of life. And I can just, from uh, my thought is that I would much rather 
have that than than you know being a I, I, I'm trying to like put into words like this vision I have of an end of life situation where I'm like being resuscitated and I'm like there's no life for me to live like yeah. that doesn't sound that doesn't sound great yeah so take that, care of that and the reason it exists is because the people you love they they want you to stay around and it's your opportunity to tell them hey either either yes like every everything you can do keep me around or no let, let let's just you know accept it and, and move you know on. what i was thinking rod we should let's finish this off by getting into a heated conversation around euthanasia should we <laughs> definitely <laughs> okay okay. Definitely. okay quick quick review here some things to be thinking about uh for when you die i know exciting topic yep. number one we want to be thinking about estate planning basics, wills, trust, power of attorney. Life insurance is important. We don't care which kind. Just make sure that you mm -hmm. have the kind that pays out when you die. Wealth transfer, uh, gifting strategies, charitable stuff. Those are important. If you've got a business, don't leave your business to chance. Make sure that your family is taken care of by doing some uh, basic planning there. Don't forget tax implications. And finally, Rod, Make sure to involve the family uh, so that the transition from one generation to the next is happening as smooth as possible. Is there anything you want to add to it? No. Nope. Okay. I think it was fun, Rod. Thanks for painting through What If You Die with me. Yep. And what thanks if? for everybody for listening. Uh, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth-building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.